Hi, I'm Courtney Brown at Emory University. Welcome to my class in science fiction and politics. Okay, we're okay. We're, we've actually started to talk. Hold on, we're on this. We started on the second day here of uh, Philip K. Dick's Ubik, uh, and there's a comment that was generated by. Okay, go ahead. Say it. Um, in the last few days, there's been um, an article that came out. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe CNN, um, CNN.com, and there was once a soldier who was flying a plane to deploy a bomb in Vietnam, but it deployed early, and and so he ejected from the helicopter, but he got stuck, and he ended up dangling above the enemy soldiers. So um, American troops can go in and save him, but a CIA um, airline system that they have called Air America went in to save him. And since he's about 70 years old, he's supposed to attend a conference and he's going to share the whole entire story about what happened and what Air America does. And it's uh, what was interesting is the article pointed to how most Americans don't know what's going on, and when we do find out, it's very like people like they like full answers and more understanding instead of it exists and this is what you should accept. So the the example that you're raising then is an example of how the CIA secretly goes about helping, rescuing soldiers and others that are in dire straits. And so this would be a case of where secrecy actually helps a great deal. But that, they keep that going and most people don't know about it. You know, there's, there's another thing. The, the recent terrorist event that involved the American ship uh, in which it was, uh, there was an attempt to capture it by the uh, Somali pirates, and it went astray. The plan went astray, and the Somali pirates, four of them, decided to leave the boat on one of the lifeboats and to kidnap the captain of the boat. And then they ran out of gas, and then the American. Uh, the American uh, destroyer came by and then they were towed out. They ran out of gas and the waters were getting choppy so the destroyer was towing, towing the terrorists and the lifeboat out to calmer waters which was not actually a, the best thing from the terrorist perspective, I'm sure. Uh, and then one of the terrorists went to negotiate on the boat and then the the uh, at night, three uh, Navy SEALs shot the terrorists as they looked like they were threatening the uh, captain on the lifeboat. Now this was a shot. Apparently, one they were they were it was a long distance shot, and there were three shots, three bullets, and the terrorists were killed immediately. One shot in the head, each one. And apparently, the Navy SEALs were brought onto the destroyer. By uh, at night in parachutes, where they dropped into the ocean, swam to the boat, and got on. That's another indicate. That's another thing. Uh, the level of capability 
for the Navy SEALs should never be underestimated. The, never, the level of, <laughs> I'm quite serious about this, the level of capability is quite, quite clearly beyond the scope of most people being able to imagine. And of course, it's secret. People don't know that. And the secrecy entailed getting them onto the destroyer secretly, parachuting in at night, um, swimming onto the boat, and then being able to, in a bobbing boat, shoot one shot each in the head at a long distance, like 100 yards, three terrorists. That's a shooting capability that is, that is quite extraordinary. So that's yet another example of capability that is available in the military, for example, that is not well publicized, that's kept secret. I mean, had the terrorists known that there were three SEALs that could shoot them at 100 yards in a bobbing boat in the middle of the night, even, you know, with night scopes or whatever, that's a, that's a, different, type of sto- that's a different type of situation for them. So they do have positive roles for secrecy, and I guess this is brought about because we started to talk about the nature of secrecy. So secrecy can go in all types of directions. Now, what if you are, this is a good point, what if you're a member of the CIA, which is what was just brought up with the CIA using, what is, it, what is the name of the airlines it uses for? Um, Air America. Air America to rescue various people. From our perspective then, that would seem like it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Like the secrecy is a good thing. What would it look like from the perpetrators of foul deeds? It would look like a bad thing, right? Now, from our perspective, the perpetrators of foul deeds, you know, deserve the trouble that they get into. But from the perspective of the perpetrators of foul deeds, they don't look at the the world the same way. And they look at us as an enemy. And they somehow justify whatever they're doing in some rational manner. So, from our perspective, we may not see their side of the story, and we we can make a good argument that, in fact, our side of the story is the correct one. But their side of the story is not one that we see, nor do they see our side of the story. So, there's always going to be opposing views, and the issue is secrecy is a threat to the other side. Now, from the perspective of the Somali pirates, okay, uh, secrecy is a threat to them. It killed three of them, ended up getting another one uh, kidnapped, or not kidnapped, but you know, captured by the American forces. Now, from our perspective, that's a good thing. I mean, we don't want the world to go back to the realm of piracy. But from their perspective, it's a threat. Okay? Secrecy leads to a threat. Okay. Now, in the case of the Air America situation, what was the where was the person originally who was giving the example? Where was he rescued? What area of the world was he rescued? Um, he basically was after he was able to come down from the helicopter. He was stuck in the jungle, like the, the trying to escape from being executed. Yeah, but from the executors, yes, he was trying to escape. But where, what geographical area? This is Vietnam? It was Vietnam. So this is Vietnam. So it was a rescue from Vietnam. Okay. So from our perspective, 
the Viet Cong, uh, the North Vietnamese, were the enemy, and we had to use secrecy to help rescue our troops from the enemy. From the North Vietnamese, Viet Cong perspective, the Americans were the invaders, and secrecy had to be thought of as a threat that could uh, affect them in some fashion. So, there is always a threat associated with secrecy. It's to whom? Now, as Americans, we're very grateful that the Navy was able to go in and rescue the captain and, you know, get the pirates. But from the Somalis, they're probably very upset about this. And they see this secrecy issue and the Navy SEALs as, you know, something they have to be concerned with. So, similarly with the Vietnamese at that time. Now, how do we get back to the Philip K. Dick point of things? Getting back to the novel. There are two forces. Now, it's in a future time, and it's a confused world. So, actually, it's a, a future time conceptually, and, and it's, it's, going to, it's a confused world, and it's hard for us to actually identify with either side. We have the telepaths, which are hired to invade, find out information from certain commercial groups. And then you have other groups hiring defense people to defend themselves from the telepaths. So each side is looking at secrecy as a threat. Now the secrecy is associated with the telepaths being able to get behind any you know barriers that would normally be confronted with people who were not using telepathic capabilities to get information out. So they, you know, are able to get behind some of the secrecy of the corporations. On the other hand, uh, the telepaths has to keep their operations somewhat secret, otherwise they can be easily attacked. And on the other hand, we have Runsitter's Corporation, which does the reverse, which secretly goes after the telepaths and is trying to maintain the integrity of their own corporate clients. Again, from the perspective of each side, their secrecy is valuable, and the opponent's secrecy is a threat. Right. Go ahead. But in the novel, we are biased towards one side, because we kind of... So it's told through the um, the characters of a Runciter's organization, and therefore we're biased towards their cause. That's a good point. It's all a matter of perspective, as you just mentioned. That's a good so. point. How does that relate to our understanding of secrecy in the real world, then? How would, how does that point relate to our understanding of secrecy in the real world? Because when our side uses secrecy to our advantage, it's a good thing, and it's advancing us as a group. But if the other side uses secrecy against us, uh, then they're underhanded and conniving, and it's something to be frowned upon. It's funny, even the way you just said that, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Shows the bias. And and in fact, there will be always a bias because there will always be a spokesperson. There will always be a narrator in the story. There will always be a perspective from which it's which, from which it's portrayed. Now, if we were getting the news story from the Somali side, I'm sure that the Navy SEALs and the secrecy that they employed would be considered, you know, close to agents of the devil. Well, Whereas from our side, they're considered agents from the angels. Go ahead. Can I? Um, so, um, an example of that is, I remember once in a high school, um, we had to compare um, 
articles from um, CNN um, or the New York Times and then Fox News the same exact situation, however, articles from both of them. Mm-hmm. And you saw it because of the kind of inherent biases in both of the news sources. That sometimes, like, you'd be, like, reading a news or, like, an article and not really realizing that it was on the same event because mm-hmm. of just a completely different take on what was yeah, going you on. Yeah, you were not able to distinguish easily just right. from the news article yes. if it was the same thing they were talking about. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Vietnam because this was written in 1969. Yeah. So. Okay. Probably did play a part in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's look. Let's look up what the thing I wanted to do today is to help make Ubik and Philip K. Dick's work as contemporary as possible. Let's take a look at some of the stories that are in today's New York Times, and I want to see how many of you can see the connections, especially with the realms of secrecy. In, in this article. There's lots of stuff in this article and other articles that I'll bring up. There's lots of stuff in this, and I'm just interested to see is if how clever you are at pulling it out. Where do you see the opposing forces using secrecy? And so on. Okay, we'll start with an easy one, which is the scale of U.S. wiretapping exceeded the law, officials say. Now, this is in Thursdays, April 16, 2009, New York Times front page. The National Security Agency intercepted private email messages and phone calls of Americans in recent months on a scale that went beyond the broad legal limits established by Congress last year, government officials said in recent interviews. Several intelligence officials as well as lawyers briefed about the matter said the NSA had been engaged in overcollection of domestic communications of Americans. They described the practice as significant and systematic, although one official said it was believed to have been unintentional. The legal and operational problems surrounding the NSA's surveillance activities have come under scrutiny from the Obama administration, congressional intelligence committees, and a secret national security court, said the intelligence officials, who were speaking only on the condition of anonymity because NSA activities are classified. A series of classified government briefings have been held in recent weeks in response to a brewing controversy that some officials worry could damage the credibility of legitimate intelligence-gathering efforts. The Justice Department, in response to inquiries from the New York Times, acknowledged in a statement on Wednesday, let me turn now to page 16, This newsprint is a little flimsy, but it's going to be obsolete probably in a few years. But it's all Uh, Wednesday night that there had been problems with the NSA surveillance operation, but said they had been resolved. As part of a periodic review of the agency's activities, the department detected issues that raised concern, the statement said. Justice Department officials then took corrective steps to correct the situation and bring the program into compliance with the law and the court orders, the statement said. It added that Attorney General Eric H. Holder Jr. went to the National Security Court to seek a renewal of the surveillance program only after the new safeguards were put in place. And this is the last paragraph I'll say. In a statement on Wednesday night, the NSA said that its intelligence operations, including programs for collection and analysis, are in strict accordance with U.S. laws and regulations. 
the office of the Director of National Intelligence, which oversees the intelligence community, did not specifically address questions about the surveillance issue, but said in a statement that when inadvertent mistakes are made, we take it very seriously and work immediately to correct them. Okay, it goes on. Uh, talking about questions may not be settled yet. Intelligence officials are still examining and so on. How do you inadvertently Oh, well, let's go this through this one at a point, one at a time. <laughs> What's your question now? How do you inadvertently, inadvertently wiretap someone? All right, let's bring it. Where do you find the issue of secrecy in there? Is that, is that one of the issues? It's a good point. Now speak it out. Don't be shy. You're, you're never shy. So go right ahead. <laughs> I don't know. It's more lying than secrecy, I guess. I mean, I guess lying is Well, secrecy. I can see where it's inadvertent because with the idea of everything being so secret, um, you could get people becoming almost overexcited. And so you're not sure um, who is wiretapping. So you could have, you know, different groups that are coming down through the NSA wiretapping and not realizing that other people are wiretapping as well, and it just gets out of hand. Okay. Somebody has to oversee everything. It's a bureaucracy. I mean, yeah, it's a miscommunication right. between the ranks. A miscommunication. Somebody has to oversee. Where is and don't by don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning what's happening, <laughs> but I can I can see I can see where these things could. Slip off the rail. Where is secrecy? With the word, she brought up the word inadvertent. Where is the issue of secrecy there? Well, it it's like um, they have to decide uh, who they're going to wiretap, wiretap, and if, like Zach was saying, things get out of hand or it's inadvertent, um, maybe they decide that um, because a bit of financial news leaked out of the New York Fed that they're going to wiretap every Fed worker's phone for a week and just see what comes up, uh, or something like that. And it's just, um, you know, or you hear one conversation, you decide to wiretap, you know, both people, and then they talk to other people, and you just keep adding on, and, uh, you know, you're not always going to be spot on with operating that way. I don't know. If that's right. Right. Somebody's, somebody knows that... There's been too much wiretapping, but they've been wiretapping an extraordinary number of people, extraordinary number of people more than they should be. Well, Somebody's got that information. Right. It's the idea of casting. How could they inadvertently... But if they don't find out, yeah, I don't see the, what the problem is. It's the idea of ca- casting <laughs> a wide net, so, you know, even if the smallest detail, you can you can get it. Oh, I actually have less of a problem with the wiretapping than the use of the word inadvertent. That's my problem. Well, no, I'd like to pursue the word inadvertent. Actually, they also said it was unintentional. So, unintentional and inadvertent. So, what's the purpose? Where is the issue of secrecy with regard to that word? Inadvertent secrecy. It sounds to me like it's just trying to keep every... It's the kind of the idea of a bureaucracy. The farther you go down, the less you know, but the more you have to do. Let's look at it this way. Why are you upset with that word? I think it's a good thing. I just would like you to pursue it. Why are you upset with that word? Because it's bullshit. Ah, no, wait a second. You said it's bullshit. (laughs) That means you don't believe it. I don't believe that you can inadvertently and unintentionally do something that like clearly is intentional. It well, sounds, sounds like, like you're covering the up their tracks. Covering their ass. Exactly. Yeah. Like no, pursue it. What do you mean covering their ass? <coughs> I mean, they, they got caught with their hand in the cookie right. jar, and now they're trying to... And they're hiding behind the... the whole article you know. And there were no like cookies either. You had the word inadvertently, 
unintentionally damage uh, confidentiality. Become, um, okay, well, let's get to the confidentiality there. <laughs> what do you see is then the purpose for the word un- inadvertent and it unintentional? Doesn't, it it takes, doesn't place blame. Yeah, it takes yeah. The, the responsibility away. Right. As in, like, um, okay, don't, well, who's, no, who's, uh, who's using it and for what purpose? What's the effect? Yeah. I mean, it, okay. it stops, like, a firestorm from, like, occurring, like, at the um, NSA and CIA. Why would it stop a firestorm? That's good. Why would it stop that? Because Why would it stop a public reaction to well, firestorm? Because in order, or at least in my opinion, in order to kind of have reaction against something, you need to be able to place blame. But if it's inadvertent, accidental, whatever the word may be, it means as though kind of it's out of their control, so you can't really blame us. So where does the secrecy issue come in? Well, it, it, uh, yeah. it, it's trivializing <laughs> it's trivializing their actions of invading the privacy of others. Mm-hmm. So an activity they're doing secretly that's all of a sudden made public, and they just kind of say, oops, yeah. my bad. Like, it's, so it's basically it's trivializing secrecy? What's that? They said so... Um, so is it like trivial, trivializing well, secrecy? Well, actually, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, it, it, you have to understand, secrets cannot be maintained against an energetic force. That's the whole idea of the telepaths and the anti-telepaths in the book. You cannot maintain secrecies if the force you're up against is determined to get the information. So what does the word inadvertent and unintentional have with respect to the firestorm. It makes people not want to kind of start the firestorm because, oh, it's just an accident. Maybe we don't have to go against it. It kind of like pacifies them. Right. It's a pacifier. That's exactly right. It helps calm down the firestorm. Is there something wrong with me then? Because I have have a much larger problem with things when people don't admit to doing them. Well, you picked it up, and that was a good thing. (laughs) But the point is that the best way to stop a public inquiry, a public storm, the best way to avoid having the secrets come out is to say, it was a mistake, and we caught it, and it was inadvertent. The normal public is quite passive. And normally, most of the public, 90% of the public, will say, oh, okay, let's let's get back to our daily lives. It was a mistake. They caught it. They're taking care of it. You get the idea? They're taking care of it. Go ahead. Kind of responding to Anina, who got kind of like really upset about that word. I mean, you know, like personally, I guess I'm with 90% of Americans who would say, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I'm like my first response is, okay, you've learned from your mistakes. Let's move on. Yeah, I would be be with you, sir. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My first response is, you didn't mean to do it? How could you not mean to do something but how so you, obvious? But how do you know that? I mean, you don't even have all the knowledge yourself, so it's okay. kind of hard to pass judgment. But the, the basic idea that we're getting with this, point, with this point, so we can move on, <laughs> is that uh, it's a pacifier. It's, it's a way to calm down the firestorm to stop the inquiries. Because, because of what? Why do they want to stop the inquiries? Because like people like him will listen. Because they have more secrets. They have more to hide. That's exactly right. There is something that they don't want people to inquire about. They have more to hide. Okay, let's go on. Uh, What else? Now, you actually, uh, you had raised something. Um, What was the next point that you had raised? You had raised a nice point. It's just the 
There's like a vocabulary system for damage control. You said something about the confidentiality. Oh. Do you remember? It's about the secrecy and classified. Okay, let's go through that. Let me read that sentence again. Let me read it again. The legal and operational problems surrounding the NSA's surveillance activities have come under scrutiny from the Obama administration's congressional intelligence committees and a secret national security court, said the intelligence officials, who were speaking only on condition of anonymity because NSA activities were classified. Watergate. <laughs> What's that about? What's the... Uh, I mean, there's secrecy all throughout that. Even a secret national security court said intelligence officials who were speaking only on the condition of, an an, of anonymity yeah, because secret, NSA activities are classified. But the secret national court was never meant to be secret. What they do is meant to be secret. But let's talk about yeah. the intelligence <laughs> officials who were speaking only on the condition of anonymity. Well, because I mean, It sounds to me like they want to be anonymous because if their name got out, as being part of the disseminating that information, they'd be in trouble. It sounds to me like, not so much that they're scared, but that they would face repercussions for leaking, for but that's not how news. That's not how news, this is not Bernstein and, and Woodward. I, I'm aware but of some that. These are, these are always uh, officials that are officially designated to give information to right. the news, and that they leak this information to the news and they say the, the routine is it's a very standard Washington routine I am a reliable source for you to get you, you're the reporter I am a reliable source you can still have access to me under the, under the condition that you not publish who I am so you must say from a source under the conditions of anonymity this, this often happens from people from vice presidents all the way on down they do this. You can say what I'm saying under the condition of anonymity. And the threat is that if you don't do it anonymously, you can't come back for more information later. That's how it works. So this is a well-known strategy. So what is going on, though, under the condition of anonymity because NSA activities are classified? That should, does that twist your head a little? Nah, that's a classic way intelligence yeah. and security things. The NSA has been the big like background spook agency for longer than the CIA has. But what about the idea of them speaking anonymously because the NSA I mean, activities are classified? It kind of, I mean... Sounds reasonable to me. Like, with giving information, it also kind of, like, gives, like, a roadblock, being like, I might be giving you this, but everything we do is still classified. Don't look into it. Kind of. Okay, well, that was my NSA question. activities being classified, how does that connect to anonymous? I mean... They don't want them coming after Right. Them. Like, What's that? They don't want NSA knowing who the source is, obviously. If they NSA, I assure you, authorized them to t oh, give this information to yeah. the New York Times. Of course. So what is the connection between anonymous and NSA activities are classified? Try to figure it out. Just sort of. You should. You should be going. You should be twisting your head at this point. Something's. Can you sort out what's what's the odd aspect to this? That if it's supposed to be so classified, so anonymous, why are they giving out the information? Okay. Why are they giving out the information if it's classified? Because it's been cut down. It's been watered down. It's the information that they want you to know. What about the anonymous? People will be. 
okay with accepting a little bit freely offered and not go after something right. What about the anonymous part, though? Well, you should be asking yourself, how does this whole... This whole class because is about secrecy, secret so always tie it back to secrecy. Go ahead. There's a secret organization with secret people working in it, so clearly... <laughs> It has well, they, they can't be too. Obvious. They can't be too That's secret. True. After all, they're talking to Eric Lightblow and James Risen of the New York Times. Yeah, but I mean, they obviously the reporters know their phone numbers. Probably know how to see them in face, face to face. What does the anonymous have to do with NSA activities being classified? I mean, classified it maintains the American public. Like, it maintains the. Illusion of secrecy. I mean, like, I mean, if you say Mr. X and Mr. Y from the NSA, I mean, it it focuses on their direct actions. Okay, let me ask it a different way. Does it make sense that they would speak on the condition of anonymity because NSA activities are classified? Because they're involved in some of the classified does that make sense? Yeah. That the anonymity yes. would be because the NSA activities are classified? No. Personal okay. Fear. Was it? I feel more than uh, like the anonymity is because yeah. of the personal fear of NSA. The fear but of what? If, even if they've been given permission, there's still personal fear that maybe I gave too much. So I think. Oh, I, I, I assure you I'm that sure this is no deep throat there. situation. This yeah, is no deep throat exactly situation. How much? I'm sure that, that p- people sit down at a table and go, all right, so what are we going to give to them? Absolutely. And write yeah. out a script. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And authorized I mean, people are the ones everyone who Everyone knows do it. exactly what, I mean, well, not everyone, but everyone involved knows exactly what's being said. So. Okay. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me put it a little differently because we need to move on. Do you realize how hard I'm having to push this? <laughs> the connection between anonymity, because USA, NSA activities are classified, you should at some point realize that there is no connection, that the anonymity has nothing to do with NSA activities being classified. If they were classified, the NSA people would not be telling them. They would, If anything that's classified cannot be given to the news reporters... So the very fact that it's classified has nothing to do with the anonymity. If someone from the NSA is talking, they're talking on they're talking with the understanding that their job is not going to be in danger. They're supposed to be talking. But that there is no connection between the anonymity and the the NSA activities being classified. The anonymity is for another purpose. But we can get into a debate of terms over like the definition of classified. The point is, the anonymity is for another purpose, and, you, and, and that may be considered a valuable purpose. You don't want to put the person's name on the front page so that people don't start pestering the person again, again, sort of keeping them off the radar. But I want to point out how easy it was for most everybody in the room to accept that as a reason. Do you remember when we first brought up the sentence, the first one, oh, because the NSA activities are classified? Even to this moment, people were still saying that was okay. The issue is secrecy works so easily because people accept whatever the official offer what offer of an explanation is, even if it makes no logical sense at all. Go ahead. I mean, the reason I accept it is because I really don't care what their reasoning is. 
They're never actually going to tell you their real reasoning. It's a secret organization. I mean, they're not going to tell you what they're actually thinking. Okay, Honestly. that's that's that's, so that's good. So, it, it but the point matter is, what they're telling you. The, the point is, could you have? Would you have? The, just think of the following, though. What if they had said, "Who are speaking on the condition of anonymity, because uh, of concerns it. of concerns within the administration." Well, that that could mean two things. That could mean that the administration is concerned with other with people knowing who they are, or it could mean they're concerned that the administration will know that they're talking. Okay, so but the point is almost any, my suggestion here is that almost any reason they give, you could have come up for a justification for in your mind and gone on to the next paragraph. Mm-hmm. Meaning that's something that security people know about you. Because it's not important. What's that? That's exactly right. In your mind, you say it's not important Tell and you move on. They're important. counting on that. Tell me how it is important. What they're t- what they're telling you, their reasoning for not telling you anything is. It's the fact that they didn't tell us. Like, yeah, it's the fact yeah. that they didn't tell the us. The issue here has more. nothing to do with the agency, with the people who gave the information who are anonymous. The issue here has to do with you. What Philip K. Dick is talking about that we want to be able to draw back here is that the public is that the people who run into secrecy, who have secrets we held withheld from them, the general public are very willing participants. Meaning, you don't get secrets maintained if the people are agitated to get the information. It takes a lot to get people agitated to Why get the information. Be agitated to get the reasoning for their, you know, keeping the name secret. Why should we be agitated for that? What does it really do with the end? And the intelligence agencies are in fact counting on that response. Okay, but. Can you give me a reason why I should care about that? I don't. I'm not here to give you a reason for why you should care about it. I'm not even. Why you care about it? I'm not even saying that I'm caring about. The only thing I'm supposed to do in the class is to be an agitator to get you to think. I am not supposed to give you the answers or to give you the right way of thinking. I I don't. The only thing I am thinking the correct way. Well, that is fine. And the more dialogue and discussion and yelling and shouting back and forth, the better, because that means there's, there's that means among the students you're thinking about, you're thinking about these issues. The issue is that secrecy only works under two conditions. First, your opponent isn't super motivated to get the information, and second, the general public is willing to accept whatever reasoning you offer. Those are the two conditions where secrecy works. The reason secrecy is working here is because, I mean, for me personally, I don't want the information. We've heard right. that, and we go oh, along yeah. with I mean, that. Do so, we really, do, do the American public? All right, now let's move on because we have to. We have to go. We have to go on a little bit. So let me go to the second paragraph. Several intelligence officials, as well as lawyers, briefed about the matter. Said the NSA had been engaged in overcollection of domestic communications, and that was a quote: overcollections. Uh, of Americans. They described the practice as significant and systematic, although one official said it was believed to have been unintentional. What about the word overcollection? It's a nice way to say something without giving a number. Right, that's a good point. I mean, you can say it two ways. You can say 10,000 Americans or 100,000 or 10 million Americans' rights were violated, or you can say there was overcollection. What is the implication of the word overcollection? 
I mean, no, you're good. No, I mean, no. I mean, no. it's positive in my mind. Like, oh, okay, like we used to have more than necessary instead of like excess because um excess in my mind. All right, is, like, over collection, like excess, waste. fine. But what's the implication <clears throat> for that? If there was an over, over if if yeah. there was an over collection or an excess, what's the implied message? That you can get rid of it. What's it? Go ahead. Go ahead. That you can what? Get rid of it. No. Going, it's going beyond boundaries. But what's the implication? Like we were good, and then we just went a little bit too much. That's exactly right. The implication is that ninety percent of what was done was okay. Is another way of pacifying. Right. Well. If it's anything, it makes it positive because oh, we overcollected, therefore we're trying extra hard. Does it give even <laughs> that possible spin to it? The point is that <laughs> even the way the article <coughs> is written, you can see that there is a point of view. It's now, you brought up the idea with Philip K. Dick's uh, novel, Ubik, that there was a narrator, a point of view, and that you were seeing the world through Runciter's eyes or through Runciter's corporation's eyes the activities of Joe Chip and, and, and the others. So you got it from that point of view. This article is also a narrative. And remember you had said that there were news articles that you had seen uh, in, what was it, Fox and yeah. CNN. You were able to, and, and in school you were comparing the two. Right. And you couldn't even tell that they were talking about the same events mm-hmm. because of the different spin on it. This article has a narrative. It has a spin. How would you is this how would you how would you frame this with respect to secrecy? Pro secrecy. Okay, why don't you explain that? Just in, it's it's presenting us the information, but it's not sort of being very secretive about it. Yeah. It's not like delving into it more. Like just other terms, it's like, well this happened, but you know, it could be a positive thing or it was a mistake instead of um or instead of a hut um a headline that's okay. like yeah, NSA is spying on twenty thousand more people than they need the to the way do. that I get it is quite simply you can look at it one of two ways. It could be a problem or it won't be a problem. And the way that he comes off is he's very passive. And so if you're reading the New York Times and you read about this, you think, oh this is no good that they're doing this but the reporter himself isn't agitated. Why should I be? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it has a sense of tapping down the flames. Meaning, here is the information, all that you need to know. Don't ask anymore. We've got it under control. In a sense, there is a collaboration in the maintenance of the secrecy by the reporters. In that sense, you can read it that way. If you could possibly say, of course, I'm sure the reporters would come back and say, no, it's just the reverse. We're bringing information out to the public. We're trying to tell them that there was an over an, uh, an overshooting of uh, what was was what was good. But on the other hand, you can also see it from the perspective of tapping down the flames. Go ahead. Can we talk about media bias yeah. for a second? I mean, um, no. Well, I'm going to say it anyway. So the, um, I mean, the media. I'm not. Talking about like the differences between Fox or CNN, it's more the media themselves mm-hmm. is an industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the media, so the New York Times, CNN, they like selling ad time, and they like their papers being sold. So based on that, you have a inherent business kind of where if I, you know, if I release this, if I make this shock value, more papers will be sold. So I feel that like 
the news itself is a biased medium? Well, that's an interesting question, um, whether the news media itself is biased. In reality, all sources of news are going to come from a perspective. Right. And what you need to do, of course, is to try to figure out perspective. And then what most people do is find the perspective they feel the most comfortable with, <laughs> and then they buy that newspaper or they listen to that TV station. It's a problem, isn't it? Station. It's a good question. You know, by the way, I am not, and be very clear about this, by me raising the issue of secrecy, I am not criticizing the NSA, nor the American government, nor the need for secrecy. What I am pointing out is this is one of the issues that Philip K. Dick has to deal with in Ubik, which is the nature of secrecy and how secrecy, in fact, is ubiquitous, and that you normally don't see all the places where it is. See, what, what Philip K. Dick is saying is, Secrecy is absolutely everywhere, in every nook and cranny, in every sentence that you're reading, on every coin that you look at, that you see Joe Chip's face staring at you or Runciter's face staring at you. There is no place where there is not secrecy. And what Philip K. Dick is saying, you have to be both energetic in finding it, but even then it will be... A, a cloak and dagger type of situation. We live in the context of secrecy. You never are told exactly what's true, and it's up to you to try to find out, and even then, it will never be a situation where you say, I now have the total truth. So there it's will always be secrecy. Go ahead. So it's pessimistic because it's a never-ending uphill battle. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly the point of Ubik. That's how he ends. And tell me, you said before, how did he end the novel? Um, by making us, or so, Ron Sitter sees Joe Chip's face and realizes that his whole reality is wrong, so our entire reality of this novel was wrong. Or, I guess wrong is not the right term. Now what, how do we deal with this with respect to how I was trying to push you <laughs> when we were talking about uh, Ursula Le Guin's novels, especially with the page ordering and the chapter ordering and so on like that caused such a furor. Everyone thought I was pushing too much, but I was basically trying to get a small point to be recognized, so I kept pushing it till it was recognized. How would that how would that relate to Philip K. Dick's work? You're the reader, you're put into this reality, Philip K. Dick's reality, his novel. What is he trying to do to your mind? Screw it up. <laughs> Screw it up. He's trying to screw it up. Why? For what purpose? Is it just to give you passive entertainment? Oh, wow, that was a real cool hit. Wow, that was wild. Did you see that? He got me all screwed up. And then you go on to your normal lives. What is he trying to do? Or is he trying to use science fiction in an activist mode to accomplish something, to transform society, to transform you? If he's doing that, what is he trying to do? To get you agitated. Like you said, like... Agitate? Um... It's not supposed to pacify you in terms of uh, just secrets. It's supposed to make you think and maybe recognize um, other aspects in your life where it, it might be happening. I'd like you to force yourself to pursue something that you said a little more. Okay. It's to try to make you think. What is he trying? You're correct. He is. Pursue that more. Like you said, he, he doesn't want you to forget about the book and just kind of move on. He wants you to 
I suppose, like, just examine your life more and maybe look at perspectives in a... Then what is he assuming you were doing before you read the book? Oh, I suppose that you were getting engaged with the book, that you were following along. Before you read the book. Before you read the book. Walking along that you weren't, basically. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you, kind of you weren't you know. thinking before you read the book. That's exactly right. Cool. He's so, making the assumption that you were not only not thinking, but let's be more dramatic about it. Well, it's not that you're not thinking, it's that you're thinking along the same lines as everyone else. Yes, and let's be more dramatic about it. Think in terms of the Matrix, the movie. What is he... All just cattle. Basically. So <laughs> being manipulated into... Yeah, um, exactly right. Or so he manipulates I mean, you into thinking differently. That's exactly right. You see, what he is, what he, what he is, and that that was the order. That was the that was the reason why I was pushing the 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 very simple and easy example of the chapter ordering for Salil Gwynn's book. But with with Philip K. Dick, it's much more profound. It's much more complicated. He's saying that you're trapped, you're stuck, you're captured, and you're passive participants with the system. That is totally screwed up. And what he's doing... There'll always be some sphere of influence here. But but actually, you said something right. You said... said, uh, uh, What was the word that you used? Um, (laughs) It wasn't the word engage. uh, Rile up. It was something like that with that meaning. Agitate. 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 (laughs) The person is captured as long as they're not agitated. They, meaning secrecy can never end if, if the true seeker is not agitated to get it. Remember what was happening with Neo in the Matrix. Okay? To go to the Wachowski brothers from Philip K. Dick, let me just for a moment. Remember the passivity in Neo at the beginning? Whether he really wanted to do this? There was a motivational effort that needed to go through, to develop the motivation to want to do it. Well, what Philip K. Dick is saying, and I'm only pushing it so fast because we are running out of time, is that you, the reader, are stuck in an imaginary world. But are we framing this wrong? We were saying, when is secrecy going to end? When does it start? I'm not sure that that secrecy ends or starts, it's perpetual, it's just always going on. I think that's a very good conclusion to draw from Philip K. Dick's book, that it is impossible. But what do you want to do? What happens if you go along with it? He does give an indication. I mean, you get caught up in the current, but if you you go along with it, you end up being consumed. Yes, you got it. How do you get up being consumed? There we go. Well, in the novel, the very good point is, you know, everyone started... Al Hammond, Wendy, they started getting tired, and yes. Joe Chip was the one like driving force, saying, "Oh, we need to stay together. We need to kind of figure this out." And they were like, "What happened when they when the?" When I would the, rather. Oh, I just want to take a nap real fast. I just want to go right. into sleep. Where, then where did complacency lead them? Then they died. They, they were died. consumed. They got but consumed by by. Eventually, it was Jory. They right. found out, but. Another force, another being that was that was perpetuating. This Are you suggesting that if I don't? Go after the NSA and try. <laughs> 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 but you can't. I'm just actually, gonna die. Actually, you, you'd, you'd run into trouble probably. But the no, point I think was I'd probably die if I, said, I went after the NSA. <laughs> I said, but like, so 
No, actually, I, I don't think Philip K. Dick is saying to go after. I'll, I'll get back to him in a sec. I don't think I don't think we're even saying in the class that anyone should go after intelligence agencies. <laughs> what I think what I think, what I think Philip K. Dick is saying that one should have one should be agitated in order to go after the truth, which with with whatever resources you may have, which primarily are seeing the clues in front of you, which are coins with have faces on them. Whatever clues or sentences in this in, that you have to read between the lines in a newspaper article to sort of ferret out what the truth is. Go ahead. All right. No, but I guess what's really frustrating me is, yes, the point is for us to realize to be agitated, but in my opinion, this novel is truly existentialist. Yes, this is going on, but there's no point to fighting it because it's just going to happen. Anyway. And if you don't fight it, what happens to you? <laughs> you get but consumed. You, but if you fight it, you get consumed so so in this case in my opinion it's you know um it's like basically in this book ignorance is bliss it's like if you realize what's going on you're just going to die anyway what do you think zach is going to disagree oh please disagree because for the most part yeah they start are they start fighting it and then you're right a lot of them become consumed but joe chip the protagonist he, de- he, he fights it, he makes it all the way up the stairs, he finds Rutsiter. Then, know what else he does? He fights, we can't, we might only assume that Rutsiter was in Half-Life with him too. They don't tell us what happened to him. They're just saying, oh, Rutsiter was in Half-Life as well. We're not saying that he created them. Yeah. Maybe he was tied up in that mind chain as well. Then, Joe Chip, at the end of the book, after he meets up with Ella, he goes into... The uh, the store, the convenience store to buy Ubik, and it's all obviously uh, regressed back in time. And instead of just going to sleep, which he starts feeling the urge to do, he just sits there and, in the very essence, fights it, and he conjures up Ubik out right. of nowhere. The illusion of hope. Ubik is an illusion. So, yes, but he, he still might. survives another day. He survives another day, but to one. To what point? Yes, he could survive another day, but can he survive another week? I mean, yes, there's temporary hope, but in my mind, there is no, like... The point, though, was... Which is why you called it existential. Right. But the point is, he survives to do what Ella was doing before. For one day. You don't know. It doesn't show him dying. There is a good point being raised here. Two good points. One is the question of whether fighting for the truth has any ultimate victory, which is bringing up your existential question, are we living in a world in which there is ultimately no hope? And the other point is, is there any alternative to fighting for the truth? And, I think I might extend your comments a little bit more, is knowing that if you don't fight, you get consumed, is is there ever a situation in which you win the battle and just know the truth? Or is life really a situation of being complacent and getting consumed or maintaining a constant battle for the truth, meaning it never ends? Meaning the end is not the truth. The end is the struggle to find the truth. And that's what Runciter sees at the end when he sees... Joe Chip's face on the chip, on the on the coin. The question is for Runciter then. Now he's involved in the struggle. Right. He now continues. It's not 
oh no, I see Joe Chip's face on the coin. I'm dead. I'm over. I'm done. I'm going to be consumed. It's all over. Everything's hopeless. It's the issue of a non-ending struggle. Meaning the struggle may be the end. It may never end. Well, and um, I can add to that. So um, you mentioned the word truth. And just like there's no absolutes when it comes to kind of the... All right, so let me rephrase that. So the truth is kind of the end that we've kind of established. However, or fighting secrecy. But because there's so many points of views, we've never actually defined truth. Truth itself is very personal and very moldable. So excellent. So not only is there no kind of universal end to struggling with it, there's no like because our terms keep on changing. How can we even know what to fight? Let me add one final statement to that excellent point. What is my role as a teacher? If ever you got throughout this entire course the idea that Courtney thinks you should think this way, that's a mistake. (laughs) The only role I should ever have as a teacher is to foster is to foster engagement, is to foster disagreement, to foster argumentation. Go ahead. Why do you sometimes have specific points that you want us to go after? Sometimes there are specific points that I think will cause, what was the word, agitation. And I don't get the level of agitation that I think I should be getting from you. I don't get the level of <laughs> argumentation. But In fact, at some point... Some ideas are good and some ideas are not good. Well, I judge the idea as being good or bad from the perspective as a teacher on the decibel level that I get from my students. But Meaning when the ideas are good and when they're presented well, right. you guys are shouting at each other. Now, when you are not shouting at each other and I'm still pulling teeth to get ideas out... I do not consider that a failure of the idea. I consider that a challenge to myself that I have not yet accomplished my job as a teacher. My job is never to give you truth. My job is only to get you arguing. Let me say this one last thing, and then I've got to stop the recorder because we have to go on to something else. Um, The one thing you want to remember, the message that I want to leave you with, is Max Planck's famous statement that major change occurs in science, but we can extend that to everything, not because somebody comes up with a good idea and then everyone says, wow, you solved the problem. Super. That was great. Change in science happens because of generational replacement. You have to wait until the people that are 40 and 50, 60, retire, die off, go away. And then young people your age grow into their position acquainted with new ideas from the beginning. What does that mean since so many of our professors are of that age? What does that mean? That means most of the knowledge that you gain in any educational system anywhere in the world is essentially wrong. A good portion of it. How are you defining well, knowledge? What's that? Well, how are you defining that? Knowledge because like some uh, classes um, I have here are like are teaching me how to think and I don't think the process of how to think is ever going to decay in terms of facts I'm presented possibly. The issue is you have to wait 40 years to find out what facts are going to be presented at that time period to Which back up that how to think. To back up that how to think is very 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 challenging. Why should I believe you? What's that? Why should I believe you? 
You don't have to. In fact, you shouldn't believe me. What you should should do is simply wait. And if during that time that you are waiting to see if Courtney is true, that the information you're being taught now is going to be obsolete and that the new, young, heroic graduate students are going to be you folks and that you are going to replace the older folks and you are going to bring new knowledge... If that happens, and you just have to wait and see, you have to wait and see and fight during the process, then you will learn something. You will learn that the information that you are giving to others as professors and as elders is probably wrong, and that you will eventually have to be replaced. Can I because generation will change. What that basically means is that people in general, and this is a generalization which has tremendous fallibility on the individual level, it's wrong, but generalizations are generally true, means statistically (laughs) average true. What that basically means is that people get set in their ways of thinking. And it's very hard to change them. And it has to, you have to go through a, a generational shift to get major new ideas. That means, and this is the bottom line, that you must never be hesitant to argue with anyone, especially if they're an elder. If they're older with you, you must fight and learn to fight and to think about your ideas and to defend your ideas to the very end. There is no such thing as you being given truth at the university. Are you saying this to the group or to individuals? I'm giving it to everyone. There is only one truth. You must fight for the truth now and all the way through your life. And you must never say in a complacent way, oh, I've got it. I can go off and rest now. Or Zach's realization in the novel will come to be your fate. You will be consumed. This is a very challenging and sometimes dangerous path to go in life. Look at Socrates. The only thing he did was force people to think. It causes others to get quite upset. But sometimes there is no more exciting life in the university or anywhere else than to spend all of your time challenging all the ideas that you hear. Have you followed this path, or is it kind of a Walt or like a um, Emerson type? Do um, I do? do I all right. So do I follow the path? Right. So like, so my question is: There's some people like um, Emerson who say to live a path and then never follow it himself, and there's others. So the like question is: Do I practice actually, what I just preached? Yes. I'll leave that up for you to decide. Okay. In the meantime... My question is then, oh, okay. can there ever be an, a, a actually new idea? I mean, if... The yes, there will always be new ideas, but those new, new ideas will never be the end. New ideas or new interpretations? There will be both. Right. New ideas and know? new interpretations. Okay. How do you say that? Wait and see. I have seen it in my right. life that things have changed, and there are so many puzzles out there that have not yet been resolved. But I just know that in 50 years' time, everything that we think about the world will be upside the down. The grad students that I have for complete are worse in their old ways than any teacher I've ever had. Not every graduate student is going to be creative. Not every graduate student is going to be unlocking their minds to their fullest potential. But that's what you must strive to do. It's the few that changed the world for the better, for the many. But we talked, you know, originally about the, how the collective is the only way that we can get anything done. Right. And so how, how do you how do you benefit the collective? 
You challenge their ideas to get them away from complacency. But you still have your ideas through your perspective, so we're not getting out of this loop. We can, we can, no, no, this is not, this is a good point. We're not getting out of the loop. You want resolution. I don't want resolution. <laughs> I want you to be agitated. I want you to think about everything you hear They're and not say. Most classes are successful, so there we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a success.